All right, well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 18. The title is The Fall of Babylon. And we began this dis- discussion in chapter 17. So we had two studies in chapter 17. Um, you have a study here in chapter 18 about the details of the fall of Babylon. And then we're actually going to see um, an exaltation over the fall of Babylon in chapter 19. It takes up a good portion of the book of Revelation, telling us this. It's a significant piece in the Lord's work in the end of days. So in our chapter 17, we saw the destruction of the religious influence of Babylon. In chapter 18, we're going to see the destruction of the commercial aspect of Babylon. The false prophet um, will ride the beast. He's going to use the beast and call the worship into um, worship of the Antichrist, demanding that people take the mark of the beast, and that anybody that is unwilling to take the mark of the beast cannot buy, sell, or trade. So you have this worship element, and you have this commercial element. Chapter 17 deals with the religious. Chapter 18 is dealing with the commercial. Think about the influence that this city, where the false prophet and the Antichrist will rule and reign from, Think about the financial benefit they're going to have when nobody can buy, sell, or trade. And if this is headquarters, which I believe that it is, you can imagine the cash that will be flowing into uh, this, this city. And there's going to come a time, though, when the Antichrist is gone, uh, presumably at this time in chapter 18, he has made his way um, over into Israel, into the Jezreel Valley, Uh, and the battle of Armageddon, and he's being drawn there. We read about that in the end of chapter 16, Um, and he's made his way there. So what we're reading about are the last uh, movements of the Great Tribulation, uh, right before the second coming of Christ. So the Antichrist military arm um, is going to be destroyed in the battle of Armageddon, at the second coming of Christ, but this commercial... And religious element is going to be destroyed by the Lord in some cataclysmic natural destruction that takes place. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Verses 1 through 3, we see the uh, commercial Babylon is destroyed. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So um, I I believe this is a physical thing that's going to happen. they're going to see this. They're going to know that some, it's an announcement that something is about to take place. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the, ri- the, the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So you see that the, those, bo- those two elements that I just mentioned, religious and commercial. Um, so the fornication that's being referred to is the idolatry that they've been following in. And that was in our first study um, in chapter 17. You can go back and follow up on that if you want. And just that, how there's that connection. I think it's important to know that we do not see the city of Babylon as she is described here in Revelation. So now, the question that we've been kind of, you know, talking about is, 
what is this city? Is Babylon code for Rome? Um, Peter seems to use uh, the name Babylon uh, as a code word for Rome. Um, is that what's going on here? Or is this a, the ancient city of Babylon that uh, Nebuchadnezzar ruled from, that Hammurabi, um, one of the great leaders of that, um, that city where he ruled and reigned from? Is this where um, Nimrod established um, the city of Babel? Um, and, and I would say, yes, it's all of those things. But you can't say definitively. So there are many names, again, that people have given. Well, no, this is going to be New York City. I feel pretty confident saying it's not New York City. However, if it is New York City, she deserves it. <laughs> I mean, this, you read this, you're like, okay. So there, there's some similarities in terms of the, um, the wealth. And there's some similarities in terms of the, uh, the sinful influence. But it's, it's not New York City. Um, some have said it, that it's Jerusalem. It is not Jerusalem because at the end of this destruction, she will never be inhabited again. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. So it can't be Jerusalem. Um, so Babylon is, an, is one. Others have said maybe it's Mecca. And you probably could get a list of another 30 cities if you wanted to. But um, it seems to me that it is a revitalized ancient Babylon that is being talked about and is going to uh, gain uh, prominence on the world scene. Whatever city it is, it's one that's going to, it, it'll be a, holy, a, a totally different financial structure in the world at this time because of the mark of the beast. It's going to be a totally different military structure because of the armies of the Antichrist. It's going to be a totally different political structure, the ten kings and the, the, the hand over the kingdom to the Antichrist. It's all going to be different. So I think it's really hard to look at anything we see today and say, oh, that's it. Whatever it is, whether it's code for a city, whether it's the real city, these are things that will happen. It will be a city that is caught up in a financial boom um, because of the mark of the beast controlling all finances. Verse 3 tells us that the destruction that will come to this city as a result of the idolatry that she was engaged in. I want to just go over a few, and I know that I've done this in a couple of the other studies, and I, I never took a deep dive into it. So I want to go, um, probably going to move a little quicker, because um, I have uh, quite a few points on this, but I want to look at the idea, again, of is this literal, or let's see, put it this way, is this revitalized ancient Babylon that we're talking about? And so Isaiah 13 Jeremiah 50 and 51. That's where you find the Old Testament prophecies of the destruction of Babylon. So in Isaiah chapter 13, and if you look, um, I think it's around verse 6 in Isaiah chapter 13. If you read 6 down to uh, probably about uh, verse 12 or so, um, you're going to see that it happens in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a statement for what happens at the end of the age. Um, and so in Isaiah 13, verses 19 through 22, we find out that Babylon will be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. So just look at verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor it will be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian 
pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls, ostriches. You hear the similarity of language to what we just just read there in um, chapter 18? And so there's reference to these uh, foul birds and being fallen spirits. Um, The hyenas, verse 22 will howl in the citadels and jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. So this kind of puts it, again, if you look up just a few verses ahead, in the time of the day of the Lord. Babylon was never destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. The night that Babylon fell, there was a wild drunken party that was taking place, being led by Belshazzar. This is when he sees the writing on the wall. Um, you know, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And at that very hour, while this was going on, and they're engaged in a drunken party, um, the, the King Cyrus of Persia had blocked up the Euphrates River and had stopped the flow of the water that went through ancient Babylon. And because of just uh, neglect, the guards whose job it was to open and shut the river gate to the city, uh, did not close it. So you, you have the, the river being dried up and you have the Persian army kind of marching right behind um, where the water is and it gets to the city. The gate underneath uh, through which the river flowed through was open. They came in. And the biggest and, and really the only casualty that we know of is that Belshazzar fell that night. He died. It is reported by some historians that it was two to three days before all the inhabitants of ancient Babylon knew that they had been overtaken by the Persians. That does not sound like Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually, for decades, for generations, for hundreds of years more, Babylon continued to be a place that kings would rule and reign from. Um, So for the next few hundred years, it, it, it was an inhabited place. So if this prophecy is speaking of ancient Babylon, it, it's really hard to see how it fell. In verses 51, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, the next point, Jeremiah 51 verses 24 through 26 talks about how it will be desolate forever. And so we read there, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they've done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. We made this point a few times, but you see how nations are often referred to as mountains? And we've talked about this in the book of Revelation. Who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. Note the reference to the burning and they shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But again, that's not the way she fell. And really, even after she fell, you would still find Bedouins and, and so forth um, you know, taking up residence in the uh, old ruins of ancient Babylon. Uh, but never was destroyed and left desolate forever. As a matter of fact, she faded out of existence um, as a place of residence and, of course, influence. But the site remains. As a matter of fact, in the days of Saddam Hussein, before he was killed, he was wanting to be the next Nebuchadnezzar. And he was rebuilding 
ancient Babylon. Now, he didn't get very far, and it's not very impressive. But, but there are a couple of pictures that I'd like to just show you of ancient Babylon. The first one is a, just a, it's a picture of a portion of rebuilt ancient Babylon. And for scale, um, this was, these pictures were taken um, during the, uh, the Gulf War. Um, so you can see some soldiers there. But you get, for scale, you can kind of give an idea of that. Um, the next uh, photograph is a picture of a rebuilt Colosseum. So when we read there in Jeremiah, it will remain desolate and it will never be rebuilt. Um, the gate of Ishtar was rebuilt. And then next, the throne of Nebuchadnezzar, where an American soldier happens to be standing. But this is uh, the attempt that was being made to rebuild this. And it was, a, it was a, a tourist spot. It was a place where you could go and see this. Now, um, I have read, and I could not find the source, so I just want to give that little disclaimer. But it's, it's been said that the stone, some of the stones that are found in Baghdad, which is about 50 miles away from ancient uh, Babylon, um, were taken from ancient Babylon. And to think that over three or 400 years that these stones were never taken and used to be rebuilt somewhere else, it's just that's not the way things were done. So there's much of what we read about in the prophets that don't line up with the destruction that happened when the Medes and the Persians came in during the days of Belshazzar. The third point is the reason for the uh, destruction is going to be because of the way the, uh, the city persecutes. Now we've talked about this already in our previous studies. But look at Jeremiah 51 verses 35 and 36. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem will say, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. So it's because of persecution. Uh, not just persecution against Israel, but anyone that would not take the mark of the beast, that would be tribulation saints. So because of the persecution. Again, remember this point as we go back into the text in Revelation 18 in just a moment. Two more points on why I believe this is ancient Babylon revitalized. Jeremiah 50 verses 4 and 5 speaks of the time of Babylon's destruction that Israel will seek God. Jeremiah 50 verses 4 and 5. In those days, in, in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come. They and the children of Judah together will continual, with continual weeping shall come and seek the Lord their God. And they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. This seems to allude to the um, new covenant of Jeremiah 31. At what time is Israel going to seek the Lord? At what time are they going to enter into this new covenant? As it says here, into this uh, uh, perpetual covenant. Well, it's at the time at the end of the tribulation, which lines up with when this destruction is going to take place. One more point before we move on here. Jeremiah 50 verses 19 and 20 speaks about Israel not just being restored in the covenant, but talks about them being restored to their land. And so we read, 
Verse 19, but I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. His soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those whom I preserve. So, is this been fulfilled? Well, Israel did go back into the land under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Joshua, Ezra, uh, Nehemiah went and rebuilt the walls. But there are books that are written to rebuke them for their sin during those days. So this has never been fulfilled. Israel, although she was brought back into her land and had repented, she was not sinless. But when will Israel find this place of not being able to be sin found in her. Because you can find sin in Israel today. It's going to happen during the kingdom. When they enter into the new covenant with the Lord. And they are um, in a glorified state. So these reasons are the biblical reasons why I believe we're, we're talking about something future. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and John referring to what's going to come. And I realize some will say, well, I just don't see it. I mean, it's just a forgotten place right now. Yes, it is. It's a forgotten place. But things can change quickly. We move on in verses 4 through 8, and the Lord speaks to his followers. And he says, and I heard a voice, I'm back in Revelation 18 now. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. And lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. And the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day. And death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The first thing that we see here is that the Lord calls for tribulation believers, presumably tribulation believers, and, the, and Jews to come out from the city of Babylon. Come out because I'm going to destroy it. Um, this sounds very similar to what the Lord said to Lot and his family before he destroyed Sodom. Come out so I can destroy it. This sounds a lot like what Jesus um, in, in the, uh, spoke to his church, that we would, we would be gathered to him, John chapter 14, that he goes to prepare a place for us. It sounds like what Paul taught the Thessalonians, is that the church would come out before destruction would go. We often see this as that the Lord takes his people out from a place before destruction comes. So God calls for these followers of his, his people, to come out. Don't be caught up, he would say to them, and the financial, the financial influence and um, seduction of this city. Be separate. And that's going to be a very hard command to fulfill in the days of the Great Tribulation. Because you will be sought after. Because, especially if you're in Babylon, and you're coming out of there, I mean... The question is, why were you there in the first place? It's going to be controlled by this uh, Antichrist and this political arm and this religious arm. But God's people are always called to come out. 
from all time. They've been called to come out. Uh, every age, believers are to be set apart. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 14, all the way down to chapter 7, verse 1, we find this similar exhortation given to the Corinthians. He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you yoke yourself, what does yoke mean? It's, it, it's, think of two animals, um, oxen or horses, and that a yoke is put upon them. And they would pull together, they would carry out that you know, task that uh, they're, they're being called to perform. But if you got oxen and you had one that was really tall and one that was really short, one that was really strong and one that was really weak, you would have unequally yoked animals to do the task. I mean, you wouldn't you know, get an oxen and a lamb, right? I mean, this would be unequally yoked. The job wouldn't get done. And, and, he, and the Lord is saying to us, that we should not be yoked together with this world. That we don't have anything that is in common. We don't have fellowship with them. Because we're about the kingdom of God. We're about walking in righteousness, not lawlessness. And so the call is given to come out. Paul states clearly, don't seek to blend in. Don't seek to live like them. Be different in your speech, in your lifestyle, and the way you think and your goals and your purposes, all through the writings of Paul, this is the exhortation that has been given. And maybe you're in this place where you've been playing around with uh, you know, the Babylon of this day, the world of this day, and you've been yoked together with it. Well, the Lord would call you to come out from among them. And, and, and here's the great thing. He says, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your father. I'm going to dwell in you. The motivation to leave this world behind and to not be yoked together with um, sinful things is not a morality call. It is a fellowship call. It is a, a union with him. And of course, in being united with him and responding to that, we will be people who walk in righteousness. It's time to get serious with the Lord. It's time for you. It's time for me. It's time for all of us to be sober in the day and the age which we live and make certain that we are yoked with the Lord and with no one else. Jesus warned those who would seek to gain the world, even as these last day merchants will do that. Be careful of materialism. An easy life. Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 38 says... For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That is quite a line. 
That is a question to ponder. Have you gained all that Babylon has to offer and you lose your own soul? Was it worth it? Your 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years on, on this earth of living um, you know, a, a, a luxurious life to then spend the next 80, 90 million years of uh, eternity, which is like the first day in torment? What would you give in exchange for your soul? He goes on, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So come out from among them and be separate. And, and don't live for the ease of now and forfeit the ease of your soul for all of eternity. Come to the Lord. Come to Jesus and repent. This is what he is calling them to do. Now, in these verses, I, I want to just kind of dial down a little bit into verse 7 and, and what the city says and what um, this whole system is saying. At the end, it says, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. I sit as a queen. I have all the luxury, all the, luxury, all the benefits and all the wealth and all the power. And I'm, I'm not going to be a widow. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm going to retain all that is mine, and I will never have a day of sorrow. It's in, those seven, in that seven-year period of the Great Tribulation, it's going to be so you know, amazing for those that get locked into this system there in Babylon. Now, not the average person, but those that are part of this, they're going to have so much, and they will never see a way in which it could ever end. We got the Antichrist on our side. I mean, you kill him and he rises from the dead. You know, you get you know, religious uh, you know, zealots like the two witnesses, and they call fire and down from heaven, and they turn water to blood, and, and, and all of these things take place. Don't worry, the Antichrist can deal with them. Who's going to ever stop this system? Nobody's, and they're going, to be, they're going to be intoxicated with this materialism and with this idolatry and with this, this person of the Antichrist. They have a false sense of security. Now listen, you don't have to be living in the last days, during the days in which Babylon is ruling and reigning, to have a false sense of security. People have that and have had that down through the ages. Again, go to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Verses 16 through 20. He spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build, a great, and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. False sense of security. Not quite the pride of the queen of Babylon, but still a false sense of security. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? What is the Lord trying to say? Is that we should set our mind and our focus upon that which is eternal, not that which is temporal. And I think we, we see how quickly things can change. How you, we, you can go from the greatest economy of all time to we may be headed to the worst depression of all time. I, so I pray that's not the case. 
Um, yeah, I'm not a prophet. I, I don't think that's going to happen. That's just my own take. I don't think that's going to happen. But, but can you see how we can go from one thing to another so quickly? Many people, I'll get right with the Lord later. Right now, it's time to make money. It's time to do this. Oh, oh you fool. Things can all be taken away in an instant. You need to be right with the Lord tonight. You need to take care of the soulish issues, your spiritual issues, not your material issues. Well, in Babylon, in those last days, that's all they're going to be able to think about. Materialism coupled with the worship of the Antichrist is going to be what everybody is thinking about. In verses 9 through 20, um, and we're going to pick up the pace here, and you'll see how we'll be able to do that. We're going to see the lamenting that happens over the destruction of Babylon, but the rejoicing that's going to happen in heaven. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour, like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, and every kind of object of most, of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle. I mean, you've got the grocery store. You've got the furniture store. You've got the jewelry store, right? All the merchants that have been supplying, all of you got the construction, you know, you got your, your Home Depot and Lowe's. I mean, all of these items, and I'm not saying that these are the Babylon, okay? I'm just saying, just think of it in terms of merchants and, and all of their stuff. They have all of this. And sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies and souls of men, so slave trade is going to be going on. It's never really stopped, but it's going to be a big deal in, in the last days. Verse 14, The fruit that you're so longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Verse 15, The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. So you've talked about the, the merchants. And now every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance. And I think that it's about 180 to 200 miles from ancient Babylon to, um, to the sea. Verse 18, And cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For a one hour she is made desolate. So we see a few things that are, that are being repeated here. In one hour... And by fire. And this is what um, you, we read um, in, in some of the prophecies of Jeremiah. I, you can go back to Jeremiah 50, verse 32. You can go back to Jeremiah 51, verse 58. 
And what you find is that it is a destruction by fire that was going to take place in ancient Babylon. There is no indication. Well, we know that did not take place in ancient Babylon. So the burning here, um, coupled with the burning that the prophets, again, it, it just all seems to align that there's unfulfilled prophecies and descriptions of Babylon's fall. Um, with the way which ancient Babylon fell. Therefore, a revitalized one can fulfill them all. So we just see in this, this uh, verses 9 through 20, um, the economic influence that this city has over the world and the lamenting that is taking place, the financial demise. It would be like Wall Street ceasing to exist in an hour. Not that it had a bad day. Not that it bottomed out and it took five years to recover. It's gone. Gone. Like, there's, it's whatever was there is completely and totally vanished and gone, never to return. You can begin to get a little sense of the lamenting that is taking place when this city is destroyed. Again, timing-wise, so this is going on. It would seem that the Antichrist has already moved into Israel, into the Jezreel Valley, awaiting that battle. They're going to destroy Israel um, and about to meet the Lord. So while he's gone away, this destruction begins to take place. But in verse 20, which we didn't read, but read verse 20, here's the rejoicing. Rejoicing over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. That's exactly what the prophets spoke of taking place. Is that God would come and give them victory. And there would be a rejoicing that would take place. That he has heard their cause. He has um, seen their need. It's in um, Jeremiah 51 verse 36. I'll read it again. Oh, verse 35 and 36. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem say, thus, uh, will say, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. So again, you see the similarity of, of destruction and motivation for it is because of the persecution um, that she was making against God's people, the prophets, um, the saints. So there's this lamenting, but there's also this rejoicing that takes place. I want you to think about this. If somebody stands up and defends you, how does that make you feel? If somebody comes in and, and, and rescues you, and you're, in, you're ready to be destroyed, and they come in and they, they take you away, they, they, uh, uh, the, the harm, the threat, it's, just, it's now gone. How do you feel? Well, you feel valued. You feel loved. You certainly feel protected. And this is how the people of God are going to feel. The, the people of God will see God move into action and say, that's mine. And you will pay the price for the destruction that you have brought upon her. And so this is what's being referred to there in verse 20. The Lord himself steps up to give victory. We wrap it up here in verses 21 through 24, where we read about the complete destruction, which was mentioned many times by the prophets in the old Jeremiah, Isaiah. Well, let's read uh, what John, the prophet John, has to say about this complete destruction. 
Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city, of ba- great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. This is why this can't be. <laughs> this is why Babylon... Um, that we're reading about cannot be Jerusalem because none of this is true. Actually, the prophecies that are given to her are the a very opposite of all of these things. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So again, you see the reason for the destruction was because of this system, which seems to represent not just the last hour persecution of God's people, but that same spirit that has destroyed God's people down through the ages. And the Lord will once for all um, pour out his wrath upon them. So Babylon is is going to be desolate. Um, It's interesting that we have the reference to a millstone because Jesus said something about what would happen to those that mess with one of his little ones. He said a millstone would be thrown around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. This world system that persecutes the believer, tribulation believer in the last days and the children of Israel will have a complete destruction. One last reference and then we'll close in prayer. Here it is. Back in Jeremiah 51 verses 60 through 64. Jeremiah, who's been given this prophecy, and we read many of his uh, verses from his prophecy about Babylon's fall, is, is given one piece of instruction there towards the end. So Jeremiah 51, verse 60 through 64. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon. All these words that were written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you arrive in Babylon... See it and read all these words. And then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Verse 63. Now it shall be, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So you have the millstone in Revelation 18 that's thrown, which is symbolic of her destruction. But prior to this, Sariah, during Jeremiah's day, takes a prophecy of the fall of Babylon, says it's going to be complete, that it will be the result of a catastrophe by the Lord. And that is not what happened to ancient Babylon. And he says, once you've read it, tie a stone and throw it into the Euphrates. And so you have this symbolic stone both in Revelation 18 and in Jeremiah 51. The lessons for us. We're not going to be around when Babylon the Great rises and falls. But here's the lesson. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. That's that's what we've been called to do. That's the lesson we learn from this. We learn that we should not be caught up in a materialistic world. 
that we should be separate from that, that we should be um, equally yoked with the Lord and not with this world. Being a Christian means you will stand out. And this is the way God has always wanted his people to, to be, is to stand out. And we also need to realize our life is as a vapor. You won't live forever. You're not going to be a queen that will never be a widow or have sorrow. Hard things come. Don't be deluded into having a false sense of security that you can deal with things later. We should deal with them now. In the end times, it will reveal what city indeed Babylon is. If it is ancient Babylon, the end times will reveal how ancient Babylon can, be, can rise to this place of power. We don't see it today. But your imagination can fill in the blanks, I'm sure. And whatever it is, this system will come to an end um, just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. If we were to kind of move forward, Babylon falls, Antichrist is over in the promised land, Jesus now returns and he destroys the Antichrist and his armies that are gathered together and then um, he comes to the Mount of Olives, it splits in two and he sets up his kingdom. So this is kind of right at the last moments of the Great Tribulation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do need to walk soberly in these days, and we need to make certain that we are coming out, that we are separating ourselves from the influence of this present hour, this present day. Lord, every generation has a Babylonian system, and we need to make certain, Lord, that we are not deluded and we are not deceived, thinking that we can get caught up in it without consequence, without it having an effect upon us. So, Lord, help us to come out and be separate. And the Lord, the motivation you've given to us to come out and be separate is that you would dwell among us. Lord, you could have given no higher motivation than yourself. And we thank you for that. And may we just see the great value and the great worth of yourself in seeking you and forsaking this world. Lord, keep our eyes upon you. We pray for our nation that's going through so much and quick and sudden change has come here. Lord, we pray that people's hearts would be open and that we'd be faithful to proclaim your word every chance we get. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.